Okay, welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. I'm Dr. Jeff, and this is the third in my series of podcasts on the bone tumours that we see in children and young adults. So I'd very much recommend that you listen to the first and the second of those podcasts. Plus, it'd be good if you went back and listened to the introductory podcast on, you know, an introduction to childhood cancer that I did. And very much it would be good if you listened to the one on chemotherapy. But listen to the first two bone ones, definitely, so you'll know what I'm talking about. Today, I'm going to talk about Ewing sarcoma and the treatment of Ewing sarcoma in particular. So from the first two podcasts, you will have heard what a Ewing sarcoma is, where it can occur, and then what we do in those first few weeks after we diagnose a Ewing sarcoma to make the diagnosis, to establish the extent of the disease, and then to test out the heart and the blood tests and all of those sorts of things. So from this point, we're talking about, well, what are we going to do to treat the tumour? So one of the first things we do is hold what's called a multidisciplinary team meeting, an MDT. And that's a meeting where we get together with the surgeon who might operate on a tumour, the radiation oncologist, that's a specialty of medicine using radiotherapy to treat tumours, and you'd have me there as the paediatric oncologist and usually the x-ray doctors and the pathology doctors so that we can put it all together and work out the right strategy to move forward. And the basic structure of treatment in Ewing sarcoma normally is to start with chemotherapy, so cancer drugs, and after a period of treatment with those, maybe 12 weeks, 6 weeks, 8 weeks, something like that, then plan to go on to either an operation or radiation therapy to the main tumour, the primary tumour, and then follow it with further chemotherapy. So first off, why do we start with chemotherapy, you might be wondering, particularly with certain Ewing sarcomas that are amenable to just being operated on right at the start and removing the tumour. You might think, well, why don't we just cut out the tumour and that'll be that, all cured. Yeah. Well, I wish it was that way, but it's not. Firstly, we have to consider the possibility that there is disease that is spread away from the primary tumour. Now, in some cases, we will have done our scans and we've seen that there is such spread to the lungs or the bones away from the primary tumour, so metastatic Ewing sarcoma. And that's a more serious situation, of course, and certainly one where chemotherapy should have the priority because chemotherapy is the only thing that treats the whole body. But even in those situations where all of our scans show just a primary tumour, for instance, all we can see is a tumour in the leg bone, for instance, and the rest of the body appears to be clear, well, we have to assume that there is actually micrometastatic disease. That is, there are tiny, tiny amounts of tumour that have spread elsewhere in the body, and therefore we need our drugs to treat the whole body. And Evidence of this comes from, you know, a century ago, 50 years ago, before there was chemotherapy and patients might turn up and they just had a tumour of the leg. Well, if the leg was amputated, and that's not what we usually do these days, but if, if the leg was amputated, it was almost inevitable that the cancer would grow back in the lungs at a later date. So 
even though our scans are all clear, we have to concentrate on treating the whole body, and we treat the whole body by giving chemotherapy. The next thing to say is that suppose we're planning an operation to be done to remove the main tumour. Well, if we give chemotherapy first, very often a Ewing sarcoma will decrease in size quite dramatically. And so that will make the surgery easier to perform. And in addition, it will make the surgery more likely to be successful, that is, as far as removing the whole tumour and not leaving any behind. Another consideration when we're planning surgery to be used is that sometimes orthopaedic surgeons need to order tailor-made components to put in to replace the missing segment of bone. Usually, limb salvage operations are planned for the arms and the legs in Ewing sarcoma, and so it may be that the surgeon plans to cut out a section of bone and replace it with a piece of metal, or he might want to replace it with a piece of bone taken from elsewhere in the body. There's all sorts of considerations for what surgeons might do to reconstruct the bone and sometimes those procedures need weeks and weeks of planning and ordering expensive components that are measured up and made to the exact right size. In addition, sometimes it's a very complicated surgical team that's needed to perform these limb salvage procedures and likewise some period of planning is the best way to go. So for all of those reasons, we normally start with chemotherapy in the treatment of Ewing sarcoma. I suppose the other exception would be if there was some emergency that needed to be dealt with. For instance, a Ewing sarcoma that was causing compression of the spinal cord. It might be that an emergency operation is performed to decompress the spinal cord, so just to deal with the acute emergency. But in the absence of such an emergency, we would normally plan to give chemotherapy first. So listen to the earlier podcast on chemotherapy and you'll get some sense of what I'm talking about. So let me talk now about the overall approach of chemotherapy that's used predominantly in the United States and Canada and much of Australia, the the people that tend to follow the American approaches. So the usual drugs that are used in Ewing sarcoma are vincristine, doxorubicin, and cyclophosphamide. So that's a block of chemotherapy called VDC, vincristine, doxorubicin, cyclophosphamide. And then the other blocks of chemotherapy are called iphosphamide and etoposide, I-E, E for Edward, etoposide. So blocks of VDC and blocks of IE. And a block of VDC normally takes about two days to give those drugs. And then the blood counts all drop, of course. And when things have recovered, then we give the IE blocks of chemotherapy. And the IE blocks, unfortunately, take about six days in hospital to give. Six days dripping the drugs in and dripping in a lot of fluids with them. And then the blood counts drop, and then the blood counts recover, and then we give VDC again. So it goes VDC, IE, VDC, IE. And typically we might give four or six such cycles of treatment with a plan then to proceed to surgery or to radiotherapy. 
After the surgery and radiotherapy have been performed, then we would normally plan to keep going with the same sorts of drugs in general. Now, recently, one of the big uh, research trials was completed to look at the VDC-IE combination. And what that study demonstrated was that if you gave the chemotherapy every two weeks, then there was a better chance to cure the Ewing sarcoma than if you gave the chemotherapy every three weeks. So in the past, it was routine to give chemotherapy like that every three weeks. But now we know that if you can give the drugs every two weeks, then you have a better chance to cure the Ewing sarcoma. Now that makes it hard work, of course, because by the time you recover from one cycle of treatment, it's time to start on the next one. So it's pretty heavy going, Uh, particularly if you have five days of IE, then you get out of hospital, you're barely out of hospital for about a week, and then it's time to have the next VDC. And if you end up in hospital with fevers or infections or something, then you can spend a lot of time in hospital between getting the chemotherapy and dealing with the infection. But the good news is that it demonstrated an improved chance to cure the cancer. So most of the time we would aim to give the treatment with cycles of chemotherapy every two weeks if possible. Now that benefit in terms of curing the disease was particularly seen in patients under the age of 18. In the patients over the age of 18, we weren't able to demonstrate that there was an improvement by giving the treatment every two weeks, but we didn't really have as many patients in that group to have the statistical power to prove the point. So it's still a question whether there's an advantage in giving the drugs every two weeks versus every three weeks in the older patient. I think a lot of the time people would try to give the treatment every two weeks if they could. And after the usual approximately 12 weeks of chemotherapy, then we go on to what's called local therapy. And local therapy is treatment that's aimed straight at the tumour, either with an operation or with radiotherapy to the tumour, or both sometimes. So I'll come to that later. First, let me just mention what might be used in Europe instead of the United States. I believe that most of the time in Europe, they have used a different combination of drugs called VIDE. Well, it's basically the same drugs, but instead of combining VDC, then IE, they have one block that has vincristine, ifosfamide, doxorubicin and etoposide all put together into one block called VIDE. And that's a pretty strong block of treatment too, like the VDC and IE blocks. They're all strong, intensive blocks of treatment and make for heavy going. But anyway, that's what they tend to use in Europe, the VIDE compared to the VDC IE in the United States. And I wouldn't have a strong opinion either way to say one was better than the other. There are some newer drugs that are being evaluated. There's a drug called topotecan that's in trials. There's drugs called orinotecan and temozolomide. They're under evaluation as well. But the routine would be the VDC and IE in the United States and I think the VIDE in Europe. And as the patient makes their way through this pre-operative phase of treatment, we'd be hoping to see a primary tumour that's getting smaller as far as we can tell um, at examination. But towards the end of the pre-operative or pre-radiotherapy phase, we'd perform some scans, 
probably do another MRI scan or CT scan of the primary site, possibly do another PET scan, and the PET scan can tell us if the tumour has become less metabolically active, and hopefully we'll see a tumour that's decreased in size and a tumour that's less metabolically active, all signs that our drugs have done some good, that we've succeeded in killing at least a proportion of the tumour prior to proceeding to surgery or radiation therapy. Likewise, in patients that had metastatic disease at initial diagnosis, we'd like to see those metastatic sites improving. If there were nodules in the lung, we would like to see them getting smaller or disappearing altogether. And if there are abnormalities in the bones on the bone scan or the PET scan, well, likewise, we'd like to see evidence that they're disappearing or completely disappeared with our chemotherapy. So after this initial, say, 12 weeks of therapy, 10, 12 weeks of therapy, we've performed all of our scans, and now it's time to embark on our local therapy. And we do need local therapy. Nobody really would think that they would cure Ewing sarcoma with chemotherapy alone. We would normally plan to deal with the primary tumour, either with surgery or with radiotherapy or with both. So how do we choose which one we're going to use, surgery or radiotherapy? Well, that all depends on the nature of the primary tumour. There are certain tumours that are operable. That is, they are able to be removed with an operation and we can plan an operation and be confident that the surgeon will be able to remove the tumour in its entirety and with the surrounding cuff of normal tissue. That's what you aim to achieve with cancer surgery, to remove the tumour and with, say, 5 or 10 millimetres of normal tissue around it. And so then the tumour can be sent to the pathologists and they'll look in the middle of the tumour and see how well is the tumour being killed, etc. But they'll particularly look at the edges of the sample to see if there's any tumour at the very edges. And what we'd like to see is that there's no tumour at the edges. That's what you call clear margins. And that's what a surgeon wants to achieve. He wants to remove the tumour with clear margins. In fact, when a surgeon operates on a Ewing sarcoma, what he'd really like to do is remove the tumour completely without ever actually laying his eyes on tumour tissue. He would hope that all he sees is normal tissue that's surrounding the tumour and so then he can have it removed with clear margins. So there are a number of Ewing sarcomas which are suitable for surgery to remove the primary tumour and the surgeon can go into the operation optimistic of removing the tumour with clear margins and also not performing uh, you know a terrible operation like a big amputation or something very mutilating. So Uh, tumours, for instance, in the middle of the thigh bone or the tibia bone or certain other bones are sometimes very amenable to an operation to remove the tumour and to then reconstruct the bone with something, maybe with a piece of metal, maybe with uh, a bone taken from elsewhere in the body. For instance, sometimes you can take the fibula from one leg and put that in the gap that was created by removing the tumour and uh, then that fibula grows bigger and stronger and provides a strut to, to keep the leg working properly. So there's all sorts of reconstruction techniques that can be done. And, you know, in general, if we can use surgery for Ewing sarcoma 
and be optimistic of a good removal of tumour and without being a mutilating operation, then we would usually prefer surgery because radiotherapy has long-term side effects and in growing children, they're undesirable. So if we can rely on surgery, that's often preferable to relying on radiotherapy. However, there are certain Ewing sarcomas that aren't suitable for surgery. They may be in locations where you just can't remove the bone without a mutilating operation. And for instance, certain tumours, say, of the vertebral columns, some of those you can't remove. Certain tumours of the pelvic bones, you know, the, the hip bones, pelvic bones, are not suitable for surgery. Some are, some aren't. It's a very technical question. So there's a number of areas of the body that are not suitable for removal by the surgeon because they won't get clear margins or it would be very damaging to the patient. And so we all have to get together and work out, well, what's the best local control option for the treatment of a particular Ewing sarcoma? As I dictate this, I haven't done my podcast yet explaining about radiotherapy, but perhaps by the time you're listening to it, you'll see an explanation of what radiotherapy is all about. So have a look and you'll see what that's all about. But in brief, radiotherapy is given by, well, it's it's a bit like an x-ray machine, except that it fires a much stronger beam of radiation at the tumour. And typically it's the sort of thing where the patient goes to the radiotherapy department maybe every day for five or six weeks, lies on the bed in the exact right position, the machine's lined up in the exact right position, and then everyone else leaves the room and then the radiotherapist pushes the button and the x-ray machine fires the x-ray radiation at the tumour for, I don't know, a minute, something like that and then come back and do it again the next day and the next day and the next day, and it goes on for about six weeks. It's not really a terrible ordeal in the short term, usually, to go through, uh, but it depends what part of the body's being irradiated, whether it's going to affect the bowel or the bladder or the throat or all those sorts of things. Anyway, I'll have another podcast that explains all about radiotherapy. There are occasional patients who need both surgery and radiotherapy for their local therapy in Ewing sarcoma. Sometimes the surgeon removes the tumour, but the pathologists look at the edges of the tumour and they say that they think that there might be microscopic deposits of tumour that were left behind. So that is, they say there were positive margins. And if there's positive margins at the edge of the tumour that was removed, then you have to assume that there might be disease that's been left at the operation site. And that might be a situation where we give radiotherapy following the surgery to mop up anything that's left behind. Another strategy is in certain tumours, we give chemotherapy to make them more suitable for surgery, but sometimes that's not enough. And so sometimes we can give pre-operative radiotherapy as well, all with a view to going in and operating after the radiotherapy. Patients with metastatic disease may also receive radiation therapy to the metastatic sites. So we may deal with the primary tumour, wherever it is, in the leg or the pelvis or the rib. But if there are secondary deposits in other bones, for instance, potentially in the lungs, 
they may be candidates for being treated with radiotherapy as well. Whatever local therapy is used in Ewing sarcoma, we would continue then with chemotherapy to follow. So if an operation was performed, once the patient had recovered adequately from the operation and the surgeon was happy for us to give chemotherapy, then we would normally plan to continue chemotherapy. And generally speaking, we would hope to be using the same drugs we used in the preoperative phase. So how long does that take? Well, it depends how big an operation it is. If it's a a less complex operation, the surgeon might say, get started again within a week or 10 days or two weeks. If the surgery was much more complex or if there were surgical complications, it might be that a slightly longer delay is needed. But we don't like to delay too long. We want to get back onto the chemotherapy when we can. Now, if we're using radiotherapy, that goes for some six weeks typically, and it might be that we give chemotherapy during the radiotherapy. Radiotherapists have certain drugs they don't like us to give during radiotherapy, and so we might have to modify the drugs during the radiotherapy, particularly not to give doxorubicin, for instance. They often don't like us to give doxorubicin during radiotherapy because it can add to the toxicity of the radiotherapy. So we'd give something during the radiotherapy. But anyway, once the surgery or radiotherapy is completed, normally we'd then get on with uh, the same chemotherapy that we we were using preoperatively. And usually the duration of therapy after local therapy would be somewhat longer than the preoperative phase. So typically at the moment we give about six cycles preoperatively and somewhere between about eight and 11 cycles of chemotherapy to follow. So you can imagine this is a this is a big deal. This is a busy year. It's a, a lot of time going to hospital, a lot of blood tests, a lot of side effects, a lot of complications. It's a massively disruptive time for everyone. But that's the treatment we have thus far, and it's all based on good, sound clinical trials that have demonstrated that this is the way to give yourself the best chance to cure Ewing sarcoma. There are some other variations of this strategy. For instance, there are certain units that treat the metastatic Ewing sarcomas with very intensive chemotherapy combinations, combinations that use much higher doses of certain drugs and really hit it very hard with very strong, very toxic treatment. And they've got good data to indicate that this strategy has some merits. There's another strategy that's used in Ewing sarcoma, particularly for patients with metastatic disease, and that's something called an autologous bone marrow transplant. I'll do some podcasts on bone marrow transplants, but an autologous bone marrow transplant involves collecting some bone marrow stem cells. These days, we normally collect them from the bloodstream of the patient using a machine that it's a bit like a kidney dialysis machine. The blood goes out of your vein, maybe from your central line or maybe from a special line that's put in just for the occasion. And the blood goes out into the machine. The machine whizzes the blood and separates the stem cells into one bag and sends the rest of the blood back to the patient. So you basically sit there for five hours watching TV, getting your stem cells collected. And then the stem cells are collected, put into a bag and put into the freezer. Then the autologous bone marrow transplant involves giving a very high dose of chemotherapy, a really super high dose of chemotherapy to try to kill any Ewing sarcoma cells that are left in the body. 
Now, the problem is the bone marrow, the normal bone marrow, won't recover from that whopping high dose of chemotherapy. And so after the chemotherapy, we get those stem cells that we've frozen weeks or months earlier and then thaw them out and give them back to the patient, just like a blood transfusion, just into the vein. And then those cells go back to the bone marrow and set up shop and start making blood. So we're using the patient's own bone marrow to rescue them from this whopping high dose of chemotherapy. So that's called an autologous bone marrow transplant, or it might be called a stem cell transplant, but it's an autologous one. It's the patient's own bone marrow. Now that's a big deal. You might be in hospital for, I don't know, minimum four weeks, six weeks. It's it's big, it's strong, it's toxic, it's dangerous, but it might have a role in Ewing sarcoma. And in particular, I know that the European group, the Euro Ewings group, has been conducting a trial for some years to try to work out, is it a good idea to do this for Ewing sarcoma, or are you better off just giving six or eight or ten more cycles of the standard chemotherapy? So rather complex decision-making to go through. And particularly, people might consider it in the patients with metastatic Ewing sarcoma, and perhaps they would consider it in other high-risk tumours. So I mentioned high-risk tumours. So next I just want to talk a bit about the prognostic factors in Ewing sarcoma. So which are the better tumours, I suppose, which are more likely to be cured, and which ones are high-risk tumours? Which ones is it more of a struggle to cure? So we know that the better tumours with Ewing sarcoma are the ones that are localised, that is, tumours that we have not seen any metastatic disease, tumours that have not spread to, say, nodules in the lungs or secondaries in the bones or bone marrow. So being a localised tumour is the most important thing. We also know that smaller tumours are better. We are more likely to cure smaller tumours. So the best case Ewing sarcomas are the ones that are small and localised. The next group are those who have big tumours, say particularly pelvic tumours. They tend to be the biggest ones we see. But anyway, large tumours that are localised are a sort of intermediate risk group. And then the high risk group are the patients who have tumours that have spread beyond the primary site. They might have spread to the lungs or to the bones or the bone marrow. And spread to the lungs is bad that makes for a more serious situation and decreases the chance of cure but spread to the bone and bone marrow is even worse it doesn't make them incurable but it does mean that the chances to cure the disease are not as good as with a localized tumor and they might be the candidates for highly intensive therapy or experimental therapies even within a clinical trial so that's the overall strategy for the treatment of ewing sarcoma and It's with an initial phase of chemotherapy, typically, say, 12 weeks or so, maybe a bit longer, maybe a bit less, and then some sort of local therapy, surgery or radiotherapy or a combination of the two, and then usually further chemotherapy to follow. Particularly with metastatic disease, we see some variations on this that are sometimes very individualised and may include radiotherapy to metastatic sites, may even include that autologous bone marrow transplant or the use of an experimental drug. It makes for 
quite an ordeal to go through the whole thing. It's a big deal. It's a busy time. It's all consuming for the child and the family. But, uh, you know, people get through it. People manage. And it's what we've got at the moment as far as giving us the best chance to cure the disease. I suppose the good news is that with localised Ewing sarcoma, we should be optimistic of curing the disease. Most patients are cured. And I mean cured, as in permanently cured, not just disease controlled for a month or a year, but cured permanently. We still have high risk patients, of course, particularly those with metastatic disease, and we need to improve our chances to cure those patients. And so ongoing clinical trials are critical. So thanks for listening in to this Understanding Childhood Cancer podcast. I'll be doing a further podcast in Ewing Sarcoma just to explain about clinical trials over the years and then I'll be getting on to osteogenic sarcoma and I'll be getting on to radiotherapy, hopefully. Thanks again. Bye now.